What's good, everybody, and welcome. Yes, it is me, Jai Shields. You're surely here to welcome you in to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, of course, yours surely, Jai Shields. Got a jam-packed show. Yes, I know it's late for the week 15 uh, recap, but we shall go through with it nevertheless here as we are a couple of days away, 48 hours away, less than that, from uh, the Christmas holiday of 2021. All over the Ravens and Packers game. That will be the lead here at the top. Recap the Week 15 games dating all the way back to last Thursday with the Chiefs and the Chargers. Uh, talk a little bit of Brandon Staley's endgame decisions. Get into Jonathan Taylor and why he, if the Colts make the playoffs, should be the NFL MVP. Get to the Dolphins, who now have gotten back to 500 at 7-7. Seven seven. The Cardinals imploding in Detroit. The Saints defense are making Tom Brady beat the living hell out of a Microsoft Surface on the sideline. Get to the uh, get to the uh, Monday games of the Raiders and the Browns and the Bears and Vikings that was unwatchable and get to the Seahawks get to the Eagles and get into my Cincinnati Bengals as the program moves along. Uh, first things first, a little bit of housekeeping. Sincere apologies for no episode heading into Week 15 on the weekend of Friday the 17th, 18th, and 19th. Jam-packed, busy, getting ready for the Christmas holiday. A work of my own, I you know, got to do. And helping my family with stuff around the house. So, sincere apologies that, uh, you know, that there was no weekend episode for the eight of you out there that listen. Uh, Mike and the OC, I'm talking to you. Uh, for no episode the weekend prior. And no Wednesday, and no Wednesday episode. Um, but we are here today, there will be an episode for you on Christmas Eve, and there will be an episode for you on Tuesday. That, I, that and I understand I, last time I said, yeah, I have my word, this time, I swear on my life, there will be an episode for you for weeks, heading, the preview week 16, the Christmas weekend, there will be an episode for you on Tuesday, not Wednesday, but Tuesday, uh, December the 28th so anyway get that off the board first things first uh the game that i really wanted to dissect and i was chomping at the i i realistically could have done a show for you guys on sunday night or on monday if there was if it wasn't for the fact that three games got pushed back because of covid and i couldn't do a recap show with uh, with four games still yet to be played, two on the Monday, late Monday afternoon, Monday night, and the two on two, and the two games on Tuesday night in Los Angeles and in Philadelphia. But I was full prepared. I mean, I, I could have done a whole show just on this game alone uh, between the Baltimore Ravens and the Green Bay Packers uh, in my uh, neck of the woods on uh, on sun on late Sunday afternoon. Um, as the Green Bay Packers take care of business 31-30. First off, we'll give you the Green Bay Packers side of things before we get to the real meat and potatoes of this monologue that includes Harbaugh and the Baltimore Ravens. Um, from a Green Bay Packers standpoint, listen, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers uh, is, is having an absolutely phenomenal season. 23-31, 268 through three touchdown passes, uh, was absolutely rem- made some unbelievable throws in a game. So the throws that he made to 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 Devontae Adams and and MVS and Marquez Valdez Scantling were some of were some of the, the throw he made across the middle of the field where where it looked like the receiver was covered. Where you know any other quarterback outside of maybe Mahomes 
Brady, uh, maybe outside of Mahomes and Brady, you know, if that pass is not completed, uh, it, Aaron Rodgers is just, you know, again, one of my favorite quarterback to watch. You guys, you know, this is not news to you guys. One of my favorite quarterbacks, one of my favorite players in the sport, lost a little bit of respect for him last November with the whole COVID situation. And, you know, he wasn't exactly, he wasn't as scot-free to blame for the Packers' uh, shortcomings, you know, as he claimed he was, uh, you know, back last spring. And there's some things about him that I don't like, and some things about him turn me off. But but when it comes to watching him play football, boy, he is, he is, he's always been one of my favorite quarterbacks uh, to watch right from the jump and, and still even what, what he said about the whole COVID, with the whole COVID fiasco back in early November, that does not change that. He's one of the best and most talented quarterbacks I've ever seen. Watching him play the position is an absolute joy and, a, and an eye treat to watch. I mean, I mean, just the the effort, the effortless throws, the fact that he can just that he can drop back, chill, have a cup of coffee, let it show off his arm strength, let it rip, and just and like like dropping a like you know what you know what you know what it is watching him throw, especially the deep ball. Watching him throw a football, it's it's like watch it's like watching somebody flip a flip a coin, flip a penny. Into a into a wishing well, that's what it's like. Where where the ball just moves, where the ball just moves so effortless, effortlessly, so fluidly, and it just goes whoop, just it, it, it just it just it just beautifully just drops in where it's supposed to be. That's what it's like watching Aaron Rodgers throw a football. I mean, just you just see the ball go up. It it really when you when you really like put all of the extra stuff with Rodgers aside. It it is just remarkable, and it's just an absolute treat to watch him play to watch him play the position. I mean, his arm talent is impeccable. The fact that, the fact that he can chuck a ball sixty plus yards down the field and make it look effortless, make it look so like nonchalant. I've always loved that about his game, and one of the things I've appreciated. He had a phenomenal game on Sunday. Mount of uh, MVS also. Had a phenomenal day at the office as the Packers put up 31 points. Their defense, you know, in their defense, not really so much as they allowed uh, Tyler Huntley to look like, uh, you know, look like Lamar Jackson, crying out, which we'll get to. Uh, but with the Packers' victory, with the Packers' victory, sticking with them, then I'll get to the Baltimore side in just a minute. With the Packers' victory, you know, it it puts them in the driver's seat for the number one seed in the NFC. In the NFC. Uh, the Cardinals, who the Packers have a tiebreaker up against, lost early in the afternoon to Detroit in an absolute complete upset, which we'll get to later on in the program. Lost to Detroit earlier in the afternoon, and then of course, uh, and then of course, the team that was chasing them, uh, the Packers, or or fighting for the number one seed with the Packers in the NFC that we thought was was the number one seed for that for them to win. Was the uh, was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers all for the Buccaneers to fail to score a touchdown, losing to uh, losing to the New Orleans Saints and a phenomenal performance by that vaunted defense that later on on Sunday night. So by the time Aaron Rodgers and company uh, touched down in Green Bay, Wisconsin, off the chartered flight from BWI. Uh, the Green Bay Packers were back in the driver's seat as the number one seed in the NFC with the Bucks losing and ended up getting swept for the second straight season in a row by the New Orleans Saints in the regular season uh, series. But the Packers are in good shape. 
uh, the rest of the, they got Green Bay on, or excuse me, they got Cleveland at home on Christmas. They're seven and a half point favorites. Home against Minnesota, and then they finish up on the road at Detroit. You know that that's a little dip. That's a that's a tad bit difficult from Tampa's schedule. Uh, if you look at Tampa's schedule the rest of the way, uh, and when you hear it, you'll figure you know prior. This is why everybody expected them prior to the Saint game for them to just run away and hide with the number one seed. They got Carolina on the road. The Jets at MetLife, who Brady has made a living out of destroying for the last two decades plus, and they finish up the season at home against the uh, Carolina Panthers. So Green Bay scheduled uh, schedules a tad bit harder because of the fact they have to go up against Cleveland, who you know if aren't deal, who if they aren't DOA, uh, you know if if they don't view themselves as DOA on Saturday, they're going to be fighting for their playoff lives. Literally on Sunday, and I don't expect the uh, the uh, Cleveland Browns to lie down and die on the road and f- on the Christmas holiday spotlight to the Green Bay Packers. Number one, the Vikings who the Vikings who Green Bay lost to back in uh, back in mid November. They lost to on the road who has phenomenal offensive talent. That if the uh, that if the Green Bay Packers defense gets caught sleepwalking like they did against the Ravens on Sunday, they could easily lose. They I understand that, that Kirk Cousins, you know, doesn't play well historically in Lambeau, but you know that's a game that Green Bay could lose if they're not careful. And of course against Detroit, who just knocked off the ten win Arizona Cardinals, who are who are you know one of the bet who are one of the guttiest, grittiest, uh, hard nosed toughest hardest out uh, you know for a team that had for a team that's lost uh 10 wins so far in th- so far throughout this 2021 season they are no lap dog and i would you know with the detroit lions last game of the season nothing to lose you you know it it would make it would make their season if they find a way to uh to keep green bay from getting the number 1 seed in the NFC and having to play wild card weekend against uh, you know the Philadelphia Eagles or uh, or the uh, or the Washington uh, football team, but anyway that's where you stand from a Green Bay Packers standpoint, um, and then of course when it comes to the Baltimore Ravens, yeah, this is the Baltimore Ravens third there I believe they're the first team in the history of the National Football League to lose three straight games in a row. By a total point margin of four points. Did you know that? A total margin of four points. You give Tyler Huntley credit, who did not turn over the football, only got sacked one time, 28 of 40, two touchdown passes, uh, was the Ravens' leading rusher, 13 carries, ran for two touchdowns, 73 yards on the ground. And Mark Andrews, I mean, I, I you know, I, we understand that, you know, hands down the top two tight ends in the game are, uh, are uh, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. You pick, you know, you pick the order. You know, George Kittle looks like the best uh, tight end, looks like the best tight end in the game, you know, when, uh, when the 49ers beat my Bengals in overtime one week. And then five, six days later, here comes Travis Kelsey, who we'll get to after uh, this opening monologue, you know, comes into comes into SoFi against the Chargers last Thursday night and puts up a career high in receiving yards. So we know that Kittle, you, you know, whether you can either di- 
pick your one and two based on which player you like the best. If you're a Chief fan or a 49er fan, we all know that Kelsey and Kittle are in a are in a league of their own, class one and two, as far as the best tight ends in the National Football League are concerned. But tight end number three, the third best tight end in the game right here, right now, is Mr. $60 million man Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews is one hell of a tight end. Ten receptions, 136 yards, two, and he was, he was the best. He was he was the best player. He was the best player on the field on Sunday. Not named not named Aaron Rodgers or Devontae Adams. He was that freaking good. Phenomenal performance on the season so far. He has 85 receptions, 1,602 receiving yards, eight touchdowns. Averaging 12 and a half yards a catch, and he became and he is the first tight end in the history of the Ravens franchise with a thousand receiving yards in a single season. You know, Shannon, the Hall of Fame Shannon Sharp. He 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 does not he does not have he does not have that, but under his belt he 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 was with the Ravens for a good little minute. He does, he does not have that that uh, that prestige uh, honor under his belt. You know, Ty the Heap, Dennis Pitta, they they do not have that underneath their belt. Mark Andrews does was you know again was the best player on the field on Sunday. Not named Aaron Rodgers or Devontae Adams was absolutely sensational on Sunday. We give Tyler Huntley and Mark Andrews their flowers that and Tyler Huntley give them tremendous credit. Uh, give them tremendous credit being down. Uh, being down in the game at one point, thirty-one seventeen, and leading the Ravens all the way back to come within one. So we give Tyler Huntley and Mark Andrews their flowers. They are item uh, number one when it comes to the Baltimore Ravens. And the obvious, obvious thing that has caused major controversy and many uh, elements of conversation on sports talk radio, uh, sports television, on Twitter, social media, text messages, whole nine yards. Is, is the Ravens' stupid, moronic, idiotic, insane, asinine idea to go for two to try to win the game? Listen, we all know that if, that if the Ravens make the playoffs this year, John Harbaugh, uh, at least in my estimation, is worthy enough of getting uh, his second Coach of the Year award. The you know the second time in the last three years, so in the last three seasons, he's done a phenomenal job. The fact that this team has eight wins when essentially everybody in their mother is on IR, uh, and ha- and he had to go and he had to start the regular season from the jump without Dob without Dobbins and Gus Edwards, uh, it, he deserves tremendous credit for that. And John Harbaugh is a hell of a coach. His team plays hard for him. His team—I I said, I said, I told you guys this last week. His team's got guts. His team's got moral fiber. His team, his team is courageous. The Ravens don't quit. They don't say die. They don't quit on each other. They don't quit on. They don't quit on the coaches. They don't quit on the fan base. They when they when they suit up. Now they may be injured to hell and back, and you know every and they may have practice squad players 
at, you know, as they're starting 22, and they may get and they may get the brakes beaten off of them. But they're not going to quit. They're not going to throw in the towel. They're not going to give up. And quite frankly, when you're a fan of a contending team that's in a situation like the Ravens are in, quite frankly, that's all you can ask for, and that's a reflection on the head coach. So John Harbaugh, you know, if the Ravens end up uh, end up, you know, getting some help and controlling their own destiny, playing. Uh, Playing the playing uh, Cincinnati this weekend, the Rams after that, and then Pittsburgh at home to close out the regular season. Then uh, you know, and they make the playoffs. Whether it's wild card or win the division, Harbaugh deserves Coach of the Year. He's done a phenomenal job. Having said all of that, John Harbaugh is also going to cost the Ravens a shot at the playoffs if this continues, or it may be too far gone. Let me get this straight. You march down the field. Your defense gets stops, first off. You're down 31-17. You hold Green Bay to a field goal. You score a touchdown on your following possession. Huntley drives drives down the field, 75-yard, 12th place. Takes 4 minutes and 39 seconds off the clock to make it 31-24. You then hold Green Bay... To three plays, negative nine yards, and a punt. You get the ball back, you march down the field about 50 yards, and quick time, by the way, only taking a minute 42 off the clock. You score a touchdown, and you decide to go for a two point conversion with 42 seconds left to try to win the game 32 31. That is absolutely atrocious. And here's the reason why. First off, if you get, for the sake of argument, if you get, get the two-point conversion, you go up 32-31. You still have, after the kickoff, unless it's a touchback, Let's just say for the sake of conversation, Justin Tucker kicks in the end zone. Packers start the next drive from a 20-yard line. The Packers get the ball at their own 25-yard line, 42 seconds left, and one timeout, and their quarterback is an absolute genius, a savant at this in the two-minute drill and the great Hall of Famer Aaron Rodgers. 42 seconds left they, for the sake of conversation to get the ball at their own 25-yard line, one timeout. The Ravens are only up one. They're only up one, which means that a field goal is just as good as a touchdown. As long as you essentially score with less than 15 seconds on the clock, the game is over, whether it's a touchdown or it's a field goal. So the idea that Harbaugh's philosophy was, well, we're going to try to put the game away and avoid overtime. This is not the Steeler game, okay? This, is, this isn't the Steeler game. The Steeler game was completely different. Do not, the Steeler game is apples and oranges. Don't compare it. The Steeler game... Was 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 so in many ways different than what happened on Sunday 
it is it, it blow it will blow your mind if you really think about it. First off, Harbaugh went for two when there was less. I don't know how much time was left specifically. I can go back and look. Less than twenty seconds left on the clock in the Pittsburgh game. So if the Ravens got the two point conversion, the game was basically over and out of reach. That essentially was the final play of the game. The two-point conversion against Pittsburgh a few weeks back. That was the final play of the game. Where if you get the two-point conversion, you win it. If you don't, you lose. There's no middle ground. There's no, well, if we, if we don't get it, we have an opportunity. There was none of that. We stop, we stop on third down. Use the timeouts properly. We, you know, we get the ball back with about, what, about 30 seconds. It was none of that. Apples and oranges. The overtime, in the Steeler game, it was two alternatives. Kick the PAT, send it into overtime, where you just learned you lost Marlon Humphrey for the season, and you were running on fumes with your cornerbacks. Or you go for the two-point conversion to win the game with there being virtually no time left for Pittsburgh to respond. You get, you get the two-point conversion in the Pittsburgh game. You win the game outright. Period. In this situation, there is no guarantee that the Ravens win the game even if, even if they get the two-point conversion. There's no guarantee. Because the Packers, again, have about 42 seconds. If they, if they get a decent return, there's about, at the minimum, 35 seconds left. Rodgers has a timeout in his back pocket. And again, they're not down four. They're not down five. They're not down eight. They're down one. So 32-31 doesn't make any difference. Okay? So, and it also doesn't make any difference if you kick the two-point conversion or you kick the PAT. Because either way, unless the world ends... Or the unless unless the world ends or the rapture comes right in that very instant, the Packers still have an opportunity to win the game. The game is not over. That that two point play does not end the game. Whether you get it or you kick the extra point, Green Bay still has more than a half a minute left. With a timeout in their back pocket and Aaron Rodgers on the sideline to drive down the field and, and, and win the game. Whether the game is tied at 31 or they're down 30 or they're down 32-31. If anything, you would rather have the game tied because Rodgers is gonna have is gonna have in his, is gonna have in his mind, look. Let's try to see what we if we get a pass interference penalty, if we get if we get a if we get a rough in the passer call, or if the defense breaks down and there's a play over the middle or towards the left or right sideline, we could get Mason Crosby in field goal range. Let's try and see if we can win the game without having to go to the extra period and and uh, and have our fate depend on you know at the hands of the coin toss. But, but Rodgers would also have in the back of his mind, if the play is not there, 
if if the if the if the defense is is is, is played perfectly, and if the and if the and if the routes and and the plays downfield are not there, and do I take a sack? No fret. We'll play the game. We'll, we will play the game into overtime, which also, which you, which, which many people are forgetting, that the Ravens at that point, prior to the two-point conversion, had all the momentum in the world, in the world. They had all the momentum in the world. Don't you think that that momentum would have carried into their defense, trying to make a stop? To either to win the game, or if Rodgers decides, you know, to, you know, on on first or second down, he decides to see what he can do to win it. The play's not there. Decides to sit on it. Goes into overtime. Ravens won the toss. Don't you think that that momentum might catapult the Ravens into stealing this game? Ravens are down 31-17. They came back and got within a point at the at the snap of a finger. So if you have the game tied, Rodgers knows that, hey, he's going to go down, in my estimation, he's going to go down the field and try to win the game. If you ask me why, here's here's what I'll tell you. Go back to October, to the Bengals and Packers game, where Evan McPherson missed, I believe it was a 54-yard field goal. It was a 54-yard field goal with 22 seconds left. Green Bay gets the ball at their own 47-yard line. You know what happened? First play from scrimmage. Remind you, Green Bay has no timeouts in this situation. The game is tied, and there's less time on the clock at 22 seconds. Half the amount of time that was left on the clock in the game on Sunday. You know what Aaron Rodgers did? First play from scrimmage. Found Devontae Adams on a post route, middle of the field for a gain of 20 yards to put Mason Crosby in field goal range. So if he was so if he if he did that in a situation where the game was tied and he had no timeouts left, and there was much less time, much less, 22 seconds left compared to 42. What do you think he's gonna do in a situation when the game isn't tied? In this situation, or the game is tied, there's 42 seconds left, and he has a timeout to work with. What do you think is going to happen? Ravens had all all the momentum in the world. Why ruin that with trying to be greedy and chase points and going for the two-point conversion? Again, Steeler game, it was win-lose. You win the game or you lose it. That was life or death. This two-point conversion was not the final play of the game. It wasn't. We come all the way back, 31-17, to bring yourself within one against a perennial suit. Now, heading into the season, you were considered a perennial Super Bowl contender too. But you know, Green, but you know, Green Bay had not had ten wins heading into the heading into this game. Baltimore did not, and they had no Lamar. I mean, think about all. Think about the confidence boost that would that would have that would have came on to this team had they won this game. Everybody would have been like, Baltimore Ravens, they may be injured at Helen Beck, but they're, they're still a team to be taken seriously in the AFC. They could they could be a, a, a serious Super Bowl contender. You know, they get into the playoffs, you know, Kansas City, New England, look out, Baltimore. You don't have that. Why? You ruined the quote-unquote karma by going for two. It's just dumb. And again, 
What difference does it make being up one or the game being tied? Rodgers still has 42 seconds and a timeout at his disposal. And if you get the two-point conversion, Rodgers is going to know that when he gets the ball back, that he has to make plays and his receivers has to make plays because they know the game is on the line. So why so so in essence the two going for two even if you get it works against you. Because Rodgers knows, hey, I got a timeout and, and you know 40 something seconds left. For me to march down the field, get Mason Crosby in range so we can so we can win this game that we ended up almost blowing. So he's going to be more urgent. He's he's going to he, he's going to be more methodical in his decision making and his play calling. So unless it's going for two works against you, even if you get it, because Rogers in a situation where he knows he has to march down the field as fast as he possibly can, make the perfect throws, receivers catch the football, get out of bounds, manipulate the clock, spike the football, because to put themselves in a situation for Mason Crosby to kick the game when he field goal for them to win the game. Just dumb. And you know how I know it was dumb? Did you watch Aaron Rodgers in the postgame? Aaron Rodgers, when he was getting interviewed to, to, with Aaron Andrews after the game, he was laughing. And Andrews asked him, why are you laughing? He didn't come out and say it directly, but Aaron Rodgers knew, knew within his head. You guys don't understand how, Aaron, how Aaron Rodgers thinks? But at this point, he knew it was idiotic. And if you listen to the third ear, you heard him say, among other things, basically, I'm glad they went for two. Why? The Ravens played right into him and the Packers' hands. Played into him. Overthunk, well, was overthinking it. And again, maybe you don't have to go for two hardball. If you decide, if you decide in your opening possession, when you march down the field, 14 plays, take 722 off the clock, opening possession, march down the field 70 yards, and walk away with no points. I mean, you gotta be kidding me. Please come back to me, Arbaugh. Please. Incredibly stupid. Okay? I understand people on Twitter are sitting up here saying, well, how dare you come off and come after Harbaugh? Harbaugh made the right decision. Okay, I, I, I don't care what Tory Smith says or Rick Ritter or Kimberly Martin or Dale Orlotsky, even Mark Andrews, you know, who, the, who cares? My goodness. I mean, enough. Please, enough. Okay, I can understand the Ravens. De- I can understand the Ravens de- if the Ravens defense has Peter Bowler, Brad Jackson, Ray Lewis in the middle with with uh, Chris McAllister and and, and, and Dwayne Starks in as the secondary. But they don't. They got practice squad players out there on the field. Was like you know run the two thousand Ravens defense. To be fair, they did give up thirty one points. So what like you get you get the two point conversion, saying your championship defense on the field, and say, hey guys, make sure Aaron Rodgers doesn't get past the forty five yard line. 
That wasn't the case. They did give up 31 points. Got to be fair. Everybody else, you know, screaming and yelling on the internet, well, Harbaugh made the right decision. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Wake up. All right? Harbaugh can, be a, Harbaugh can be a great coach and make a stupid decision. Both can be true at the same time. You know, I love to, you know, Torrey Smith, great guy, hell of a player for the Ravens back in the day. But Torrey's got to get a clue, please. Bad enough he thinks Mike Tomlin deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, which we've gone back and forth over the years on Twitter many a times, but Torrey's got to pay attention. Rick Rader, who does the WJZ News here in Baltimore. You, you gotta pay attention, please. Jeez. Because at the end of the day, this decision could end up costing the Ravens. Could th th That decision on Sunday, in all seriousness, could keep the Ravens out of the postseason. Could keep the Ravens out of playing January football. It could keep them out of it. And will, you know, will the Tory Smiths and the Rick Raiders and the Dan Orlotskis of the world be on their high horse defending Harbaugh when, you know, January 12th rolls around and it's the, Ra and it's the you know, the, Beng it's the Bengals and the, uh, you know, it's the, it's, the, it's, it's the Bengals playing on, uh, it's the Bengals and Chargers playing on Wild Card Weekend and the Ravens are, are you know, are sitting at home. Highwood Brown, Lamar Jackson, Cole kicking it in South Beach. Will they defend him then? I understand you weren't expected to win this game going in, but when you but when you crawl all the way back from 31-17 down, you gotta finish what you start you gotta finish what you started. I'm sorry. You gotta ride the momentum, get the put, put the analytics away. Use common sense, kick the extra point. Kick the extra point. And again, opening drive, you march down the field, you decide to go for it, Harbaugh. Really? Really? And then, two, again, it's not like the Ravens' schedule is a cakewalk. They got the Bengals and Cincy Christmas weekend. They come back home just to play another NFC powerhouse in the Rams. And then they got to play Pittsburgh, a game, a game that's never easy, regardless what Pittsburgh's record is. A game that's never easy. How about that? To come back. On a Christmas Eve Eve program. We're just getting started. The Amatelicatelius podcast will continue back after this.
Welcome back to the Armatel at TIS podcast. One last thing I forgot to bring up with the Ra- with the uh, with the Ravens game is that not only do I not like the decision to go for two, the play call was absolutely horrendous. You know, if you, and, and and if you're defending the play call, there's 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 no defending Harbaugh going for two. And even if you try to defend it, I think you're wrong. You have every right to to have that thought and have that opinion. I think you're wrong. But what the the thing that you can't defend under any circumstances that you can't you know that has nothing to do with analytics and has nothing to do with probability and all that sort of stuff. The the one the one thing you cannot defend under any circumstances is is the play call. The play call decision what w- was you can make the argument that the play call decision was just as bad as the decision to go for two because everybody watching on television all across America, the 24 some odd people who tuned in to watch it on their local Fox station all across the good old United States of America, the 24 million people that watched it on television, including the 70,000 plus that was, uh, packed, that was packed at the bank uh, in downtown Baltimore on uh, on uh, Sunday evening, everybody in America knew that Mark Andrews was getting the football in that situation. He again, you guys think I I was exercising on hyperbole? I wasn't. He was the best player on the field on Sunday on Sunday afternoon, early Sunday night. Not named Devontae Adams or Aaron Rodgers. He was the third best. He was he was the Ravens' best player on the field on Sunday, and he was the third best player on the field overall. Everybody in America knew he was getting the football. And why, you know, these offensive coordinators draw up these schemes where they have every single player on offense literally shift the one so- to one side of the field near the sideline on a bootleg, I have absolutely no idea. Damn near the entire Green Bay Packers defense was covering Mark Andrews on that play. Worst of all, you have a wide-open Hollywood Brown, you know, who who was you know wide open Hollywood Brown running across the back of the end zone, with his hand up in the air begging for the football, where all he has to do is catch it. And he gets his feet in bounds, and the Ravens take the lead. But anyway, that's not a hint over there. And one other point I forgot to mention from the last segment that ties in to my uh, Chief and Chargers recap as we you know pick as we critique uh, Brandon Staley, who wasn't exactly. Uh, you know, marvelous in the uh, on the in in his Thursday night game the previous Thursday. You know, I can't. You know, here's what these coaches have to understand. And it's kind of and it's kind of like the same way how you look at it in baseball a little bit. You know, baseball. You know, we get on these managers all the time of you know how you can't manage a game and manage a bullpen in October the same way you do in in April, May, in April, May, June, and early July. How you can't how you can't manage these games the same. Getting to that point with analytics kind of taking over. Uh, coaching in-game coaching decisions in football—it's kind of—it's kind of the same. It's kind of the same way. You cannot make these managerial in-game, late-game decisions during crunch time of these games. You can't do it in, in, in play call. You can't do it the same way in December and in January. You can't do it the same as you do in September and in October and in early November. Different ball game. Championships, playoff appearances, 
division titles, playoff seeding is on the line in these games. This is December football. You can't make, you know, if you're Brandon Staley going for fourth down every single every single opportunity that you get, and Harbaugh, you know, trigger happy going for two. The Ravens, by the way, are two of eight on the season for going for two. By the way, uh, after after the sequences of uh, of Sunday, two of seven going in. You know, you can't, you know, you you can't make these end game managerial decisions in crunch time. In December and in January, the same way you do in September and October, different animal. You know, you lose a game and week you lose a game off a bad coaching decision in game in week one, two, or three. It's not the end of the world. Doesn't necessarily end your season. You learn from it. How you doing? Keep it moving on to the next game. You make that. You make that glaring mistake. In late no, you know, in post Thanksgiving November or 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 playing December football, it could cost your team your season, could cost you seeding, could cost your team your division, could cost your team a home playoff game, and then all in all, harshly, but it's the nature of the beast. It's how the cookie crumbles. It's results oriented business. Could also cost you your job. Same way how you can't manage baseball games and manipulate your bullpens uh, with the third time through the order and all that sort of Same way how you can't manage, manage, the, manage the same when you're playing pennant chase baseball in September and postseason and then postseason series in October. You can't manage them the same way you do on, uh, on May 15th, on June 21st, on, 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 on July 2nd. Can't imagine the same as you do September t- on uh, September on September the twenty fifth on October seventeenth, October twenty seventh. Can't can't imagine the same. Football, it's, it's it's getting to that point with these analytics. It's it's becoming the same argument. Can't make these man. You can't make these in game to sit have these in game decision making the same on uh, the same on December on December seventeenth. As you do on as you do on October seventeenth, because the stakes are a little bit higher. Stakes are higher and the stakes are different. Can't man can't manage and can't coach the same. You can't when it when it comes when it comes to when it comes to pivotal decision making and crunch time. You can't manage and can't coach the same when it comes to stuff like that. You can't. And in the Chargers case. It may ended up. It may ended up costing them the uh, the AF the AFC West, where you know where if the Chiefs beat the Steelers on Sunday or the Chargers lose on Sunday, Chiefs get you know Chiefs get another division title underneath their belt, and they had the opportunity. They had the perfect opportunity to have the tiebreaker over Kansas City and be in the driver's seat in the AFC West last Thursday night, and they spit the bit. You know, Brandon Staley going forward on fourth down every single chance he get, and the most egregious one of all was the was the one was the decision that he made before the half going going forward on uh, going forward at the Kansas City one yard line fourth and one with two timeouts left. You know, up four points. You kick your field goal, you're up a touchdown. I mean, really, really, really. Your de- your, de- your defense for your defense forces the first Kansas City turnover of the night. 
get yourself in prime scoring position with with that with that high flying offense and the and your elite quarterback and Herbert forces Kansas City fumble, you get the ball back, you still a possession with an opportunity to go up twenty one to ten at best, seventeen to ten at the worst, and you walk away with no points. Listen, I understand to you know to beat the big boys and to beat and, and to beat the uh, the hunted you, you got to make some excuse my friend some ballsy decisions and you kind of have to coach the game kind of ultra aggressively with your decision making i understand all that and you, and you don't want to you know and when when there's an opportunity uh, to get 7 you want to get 7 rather than always settling for 3 but but in that situation Going, going for the gusto, trying to get seven instead of selling for three on that four, on that fourth and goal, especially when there was especially when there was two seconds left, was, was asinine. Was asinine. The fact that it was a fourth, fourth and goal at Kansas City's one yard line, there were two seconds left before, before the half, and the fact that Kansas City got the ball back the start of the second half. Was that that one out of all the fourth going forward on fourth down decisions that Stanley made the other night? That one was was by far, in my opinion, in my eyes, the worst and the dumbest one. Because you could fourth fourth and goal, Brandon kicked the field goal and go up seven going into the half, knowing that if Mahomes and and Kansas City march down the field and score a touchdown, unless they go for two, the game's going to be tied by the time you get the ball back for your first possession in the second half. I understand best case scenario you want to go in you wanted to go into the half 21-10, but you didn't. Take what they give you, kick your field goal, go up 17-10. That one was 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 by far one of Staley's dumbest decisions of the night. Kick your field goal and take your points. Please. I'm begging you. Take the points. And again, you know, you you want to you want to go look at the stats. You know, the Chargers went forward on fourth down five times, then went two of five. They failed three times. You know. And and another thing too. You you can't you can't you can't coach these games like you're playing Madden again against your younger brother, you know, in your in your in your auntie's basement. You can't you can't you can't you can't you can't coach these games like you're playing Madden. Every single, you know, every there's not there's not a fourth down you don't encounter where you don't go for it. My brother plays like that all the time. You you you, you, you in, in real world NFL you can't coach games like that. And and expect and expect to win. You can't. You can't. You can't. Travis Kelsey, what 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 a what a career day for him. Uh, he. Was uh, ten receptions, a career high, hundred and ninety-one yards, two touchdown catches on the on the night. Scored the game-winning touchdown in the overtime. Tyree killed twelve receptions, one hundred and forty yards, and a touchdown. Just an absolutely phenomenal job. I mean, that's what happens when the Chargers lose Derwin James. You know, Mahomes hit Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey go off. They did not. Kansas City did not have much of a running game throughout the night. When Patrick Mahomes is your leading rusher for, with three carries and thirty-two yards on the ground, you know you didn't have a fantastic night running the football. Uh, but Travis Kelsey, again, I said it in the opening monologue. I said it again, he kittle flip your coin, take your pick. 
personal preference, favorite player, doesn't matter. Best tight end in the game. Patrick Mahomes had a hell of a second half uh, in the game in total. He was 31 of 47, 410 th- through for three touchdown passes and interception. Had a, phenom- had a phenomenal fourth quarter in overtime. You know, first few quarters, you know, was we saw the subpar Mahomes like we did against against uh, the Chargers back in September, but all in all, decent night for Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he he wasn't his best, and he still threw four for four hundred yards and three touchdowns, which which just speaks to just how great of a talent he truly is. You know, Jonathan Taylor just ran rampant all over New England Patriots. Uh, last Saturday night with an absolutely phenomenal performance. Uh, 29 carries, 170 yards on the ground. The one touchdown he scored was the coup de grace on the night. I'll tell you something right now. Indianapolis Colts make the playoffs. He is he gets my MVP vote. Brady's had too many spotty game has too many spotty games with the New Orleans game on Sunday night being the most recent example. Uh, you know he can't give it to him in my eyes. Can't give it to Rodgers. Can't be called the MVP of the sport. You don't get vaccinated. You miss time off because of the whole COVID situation. Uh, that, 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 in my opinion, took him out of the MVP conversation when that whole fiasco came about uh, back, in, back, in early, back in early November. So, in my if the Indianapolis Colts, who are currently sitting at 8-6, and six, improved the 4-4 four and four at Lucas Oil Stadium on the season, Indianapolis Colts make the playoffs... Jonathan Taylor gets my vote for NFL MVP. He has had an absolutely phenomenal season this year. Uh, phenomenal season this year. He's ran for over 1,000 yards, 1,500 yards to be exact, on uh, 270 carries, 1,518 yards, 17 touchdowns on the season. He's caught two receiving touchdowns so far this year. Absolute phenomenal talent. Ran rampant all over that New England Patriots uh, defense. Which was absolutely their run defense was just absolutely pathetic on a Saturday night. Who had no answers for Jonathan Taylor? Carson once was abysmal in the game, which which uh, which I would be slightly concerned about if I was a Colts fan. The fact that Jonathan Taylor was so good, you know, took the pressure off of Wentz and took the pressure and took the heat and the attention off of Wentz, who had a horrendous performance: five of 12, 57 yards passing, and a horrendous, mind-boggling interception. Uh, on in the game on Saturday night, Mac Jones would you know ha- ha- show some show some guts, show some mental toughness, you know, prove to, to why he's a first, why he got drafted in the first round, you know, when he you know when the Patriots finally woke up in the fourth quarter and scored all of their 17 points in that frame, but he he was he was not in the first three quarters he was absolutely abysmal. Two interceptions was was not great under any circumstances, and that's if you're a Patriot fan. You kind of wonder where it's like, all right, well, you know, I understand Mac. I understand that he's had a decent season thus far, but he's but as a rookie and underneath the form and with the formula that McDaniel's and Belichick have have essentially concocted to as a formula for Mac Jones to do his part, you know, leading the Patriots to win football games. That you know, that you see, you see the flaw in it. Because the formula, the way the way that they set up Mac Jones to succeed, and the way they set up Mac Jones for him not to lose the game for Indianapolis, or excuse me, for New England, is to play with the lead. When and when when the Patriots had to play from a deficit, 
you kind of have to throw that that make the game come to him game manager type of formula that the Patriots have concocted into one of the reasons why they were running that tremendous that tremendous winning streak. Once Patriots play from a deficit, especially of double digits, you kind of have to throw it out the window and 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 grin and bear it and and cross your fingers and hope that Mag Jones, as a rookie, can make the Tom Brady esque throws to put you in a position to win the game. And from what I saw on Saturday, he's not there yet. Has potential to get there, but but less. But you know, before you you know crown him as the next Tom Brady, you got to be fair. And I understand he's a rookie, but he's not there yet. And and his and his performance on Saturday night showed that he's not there yet. Um, and then of course you got the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are are you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers are are a special breed. Of uh, our special breed of a football team, they're the only football team. It's, it's just the, you know the quarterback, the bad offensive line. They don't they don't utilize Najee Harris. Their defense looks like they're gonna be out the lunch, and yet somehow, some way, they come up from the abyss, and you know they rise up and wake up in the fourth quarter, and they steal games, literally steal games. From opponents that they have no business winning, they're five and they're five two and one at home this season, seven six and one on the season. Why? I have no idea. Their offense is, is a complete eyesore to watch. Again, why they drafted Najee Harris for them to only give him twelve carries? I have no idea. They can't utilize them properly. The, the 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 short game and the screen passes, especially on third and longs. You know, if you're a football aficionado, would 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 drive you into an into an and into an insane asylum. Ben Roethlisberger is shot cooked. We see why he's retiring at the end of the season. Yet the Pittsburgh Steelers still won the game. Why? Because the Steelers' defense stepping up and was ready to play. The fact that this team wakes up and decides to say, "Oh, holy crap, we're in the game now!" until the fourth quarter. Be- you know, once the fourth quarter begins, and on top of the fact that the Tennessee Titans straight up and down, straight no chaser beat themselves, turned over the football all over the place. Ryan Tannehill threw, threw a bad. Ryan Tannehill threw a bad interception. They lost it. You know, you saw the stat. You know, early in the game, Tennessee wins the turnover battle. They win games. They lose the turnover battle. They turn over the football. They straight up don't win. Turn over the football four times. Put the ball on. Put the ball on the ground three of the three out of the four turnovers. They put the ball on the ground three times. All three fumbles. They ended up losing. And, and of course, you throw in the Ryan Tannehill interception on top of the fact that Joe Hayden was back, on top of the fact that the Steelers defense came to play, on top of the fact that there's some weird voodoo black magic that goes on, uh, that goes on out there at Hines, you know, on the, uh, on the river there in Pittsburgh that, you know, if Pittsburgh's going to situation in the fourth quarter when they have an opportunity to steal a game from an opponent, especially if they're playing at home, Gosh darn it! They're gonna find a way. They're gonna find a way to do it. Bad loss by Tennessee. Ten- Tennessee. Tennessee. You cannot let the 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 beleaguered, you know, hanging on by a thread Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, who were down at who were down at one point in the game, 
by the score uh by the score of thirteen to three. You can't let them climb all the way back and score sixteen unanswered points uh, and allow them and allow them to steal the game from you. You just even if even if Pittsburgh goes nowhere, if if, if Pittsburgh doesn't doesn't end up making the playoffs, that's even, this loss is even worse because you, because you have no business losing to a team that's not making the playoffs when you you know when you're trying to win your division, keep the Colts off your back after the performance and the game that they had the previous night on Saturday night, and you know you're you're trying to you know on a chicken wing and a prayer trying to steal the number one seed from Kansas City who you have who you have tiebreaker over and uh and New England as well who lost again the uh the previous night to your division rival Indianapolis and and also Buffalo who struggled as of late as well who whom you also have tiebreaker over horrendous loss by Tennessee bad pathetic putrid performance from Ryan Tannehill and the Pittsburgh Steelers <sighs> They 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 they're they're like cockroaches. I mean they they never go away. They never go away. Any single time you think that they're dead, finished, done for, they always find a way to creep in, creep in from the from the little cracks, and all of a sudden it's an infestation, and you, and you blink and look up, and the Steelers have the final score. And one last thing on this game too. Now, how many times do we do we have to go through this? With these teams, you know, dancing and 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 strutting and taunting opposing teams on uh, on midfield logos. How, how many how many times do we have to do? How many times do we have to keep on going through this with these teams? You know, dancing and and holding pregame huddles on team midfield logos. How many times do we have to keep on going through this before before these teams wise up and realize it's an idiotic thing to do? How many how many times do have, how many times do we have to we we got we got to go through this? The the Raiders literally did it Tennessee the week before in Kansas City and got their teeth bashed in. Have you learned nothing? You you did the same thing against the Ravens in November of the twenty twenty season. Granted, you win the granted you won the game. But it all came back around full circle. Ravens went into your house, wild card weekend, playoff game. They beat you. Marcus Peters catches the game clinching interception, and the Ravens defense cuts a field, cuts a fool on your midfield logo to get revenge. I mean, what 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 goes around comes around. The the Raiders literally paid the price. For doing for pulling that crap the week before, and you did it to the Ravens, and albeit you won the game, the next time they played you in the postseason when the game mattered the most, they went into your building and beat you, and then acted a fool on your midfield logo after the fact. I mean, could you be dumber? Could you be dumber? And another thing too, I understand that you know I've gone on here many a time and screaming yelled said it, that the taunting penalty is one of the worst rules in sports, one of the worst rules in the NFL. Here's where the, here's actually where the taunting penalty can can do some good. Here's where the taunting penalty can, can do some good. Any official that's standing out there on the field when these teams are are, are doing these midfield hijinks, 
And, and any like official just casually just on the I mean they, they, not one official who's like strolling the field doing uniform checks or something around. any of any official happens to like you know walk across the walk around the field during pregame warm-ups or or just prior to the team introductions and catch an opponent do any of that any official catch it and see it and say to themselves if that isn't taunting, I don't know what is. They begin the game with the 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. That 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 taunting penalty, I would actually be in favor of. Yet, for whatever the reason, you know, God forbid, God forbid, you point to somebody when you score. You God forbid, you uh, you point to an opposing player when you score a touchdown. That gets called for taunting, yet you yet you can hold a whole full pregame full team huddle on a team's mid on an opposing team's midfield logo, yet yet mums the word, <laughs> which makes absolutely no sense to me. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, and the Miami Dolphins have won six straight. They improved to seven and seven on the season. Had a very rocky first half. But give Brian Flores and the Dolphins credit. Went out there and scored 21 second half points. Outscored the Jets in the second half 21-7. Beat the Jets 31-24. As the Dolphins improved to 500 on the season. First time they've been 500 since uh, since September the 19th when they got shut out by Buffalo 35 to nothing. They have an opportunity to go above 500 for the first time since their week one victory with a win over the Saints. On Monday Night Football, they finish out the season. The Saint, they finish out. It's uh, you know, if they if they somehow pull off a miracle and run the table, if they pull off a miracle and run the table, you can't say that Dolphins. And if things break their way, you can't say that the Dolphins don't deserve to go to the playoffs. Because listen to listen to the listen to their last three games. The Saints, who who just getting off a of shutting out Brady. Who you know? Who are also playing for their playoff lives as well on that Monday night game at Tennessee, and then they host New England, and New England might need that game for you know for the number one seed in the AFC. And any single time the Patriots play the Dolphins uh, in the, in December in Miami, funky things happen. Not even in Miami because because the Patriots lost to Miami, if you remember correctly, in Week 17 of the, two, of the 2019 season, and gifted Kansas City the, the the number two seed in the AFC playoffs that year, if you remember correctly. If the Patriots would have won that game, the Chiefs would have had to play Wild Card Weekend, and the Patriots would have gotten the number two seed. Instead, here comes Fitzmagic, you know, steals the game from New England. In New England, mind you, uh, week 17 of the season, and the, and the Chiefs take care of business against the Chargers, and all of a sudden the Chiefs had a number two seed in the AFC. They win the AFC, win the Super Bowl, and the rest is history. And, you will, of course, you get the Kevin Harlan, I'm calling both games thing and everything else. But if, if they run the table and get help and finish the season at 10-7, and seven, Hell of a season for the Miami Dolphins. And and ironically enough, you know, that Monday night football game was saved. Was saved on Sunday. 
It was saved by the Dolphins' comeback in the second half against you know, Zach Wilson and the Jets. You know, it, the, the, the comeback and, and improving a 7-7 seven and seven on top of New Orleans shutting out uh, shutting out uh, Tampa and that defensive slugfest nine nothing on Sunday night. That that those two uh, those two results those two scenarios combined that saved the Monday night game, in a couple of days, saved it. Because although both teams are at five hundred at seven and seven, both of those two teams are pl- are playing to get the seventh seed. And, and make it into the playoffs. And all you can ask for, especially late in the season, is is primetime games that have that have playoff implications. That's all. That's all. That's all you can ask for. And the Monday night game has has that, which 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 we are so fortunate to get because of the fact that the Dolphins uh, pulled off uh, a little second half magic against the Jets last week, and the fact that the Saints shut out. Tom Brady and the Bucks on Sunday night, which ended up saving the Monday night game. Two seven seven teams trying to get the seventh seed in their respective uh, playoff races in the in the own separate conferences. And of course, how about the Arizona Cardinals imploding to the Detroit Lions? I mean, that I, I don't want to hear no excuses about DeAndre Hopkins. When you, when you play a ten loss football team in a Detroit Lions. It's unacceptable for you to lose the game thirty to twelve, uh, and, and and again, this is also on top of his late in-game decision making against the Rams the game before. That's why I can't. This is why you can't say Cliff Kingsbury to be a big-time coach. I mean, Reynolds ran ran all over their defense. Twenty-six carries, one hundred and twelve yards, and Jared Goff, you know, looked like his days under Sean McVay. Twenty-one to twenty-six, two sixteen, three touchdown passes. I mean, really. And uh, and all and all of a sudden, Goff's old team in the Rams, all of a sudden they're back into the thick of things as far as the NFC West is concerned. Right, so if the car, if the Cardinals end up end up choking in the second half of the season, and somehow somebody find themselves playing on Wild Card Weekend as a road team, that that you want to talk about an absolute disgrace and a choke job. That will be an absolute disgrace if the Cardinals go from perennial one seed in the NFC to five seed playing a road wild card game against uh, against uh, you know the, the 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 Dallas Cowboys. That that will be an epic failure of epic proportion. We take a break. We will continue. The Amtelectarius podcast rolls on in just a few seconds. Welcome back to the Yum Telica TIS podcast. Real quick, couple of stats to get on the board. Did you know that the Detroit the Detroit Lions entered their Sunday game against the Cardinals with a record of one eleven and one, while the Cardinals entered the game at ten and three. Detroit is just the third team in the Super Bowl era, so that's since nineteen sixty six, 
to enter a game with fewer than two wins and go on to beat a 10-plus win football team. Uh, let's see. EJ, EJ Speed, who had that... Uh, who had that blocked punt? Who had that blocked punt uh, in the game on Sun on Saturday night? Uh, Coast linebacker EJ Speed, first player with multiple punt block returns for touchdowns in a single season since Ed Reed did it in 2003 with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Jonathan Taylor scored a touchdown in 11 straight games, longest streak within a season since Hall of Famer Ladanian Thompson did it. He had a 12th game streak back in 04. T.J. Watt, 17 sacks this season after his third quarter. Ryan Tannehill sack that sets a new Steelers single-season franchise record and brings T.J. Watt to six, six-and-a-half career sacks, passing the Hall of Famer Derek Thomas for third most in a player's first five seasons of his NFL career. Uh, let's see. Uh, any more? I got to get to. Let's see. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. And with the Ravens, uh, 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 they've allowed 30-plus points for the fifth time this season, most games on the Harbaugh era. Packers have allowed 28-plus points in each of their last four games, twice in the first 10 games this season. Uh, So that's a couple of notes to get to there, uh, just to make sure I'm all caught up in my note sheet. Um, yeah, so anyway, getting to the Saturday night, or excuse me, the Sunday night game as we uh, continue the week's uh, 15 recap. Uh, how about the New Orleans Saints and Cameron Jordan and, and, and just the phenomenal job that they did on Sunday night, frustrating the living hell out of Brady, shutting them out, uh, and winning a game in the defensive slugfest, improving the seven and seven on the season, five and three away from the Superdome by the final score, or uh, what, uh, yeah, five and three away from the Superdome by the final score of nine to nothing. I mean that defense just got all after Brady on Sunday night. Brady had no answers. He was twenty six for forty eight through for two hundred and fourteen passing yards. Threw an interception, uh, got stripped on trying to run, trying to run on a third down by Cameron Jordan. Uh, you know, no Leonard Fournette, Leonard Fournette with a hamstring injury, no Chris Godwin torn ACL gone for the rest of the season. You know, first uh, little moment of hardship that the Buccaneers have had to face, and you know, realistically, the biggest uh, level of adversity that they fit that they faced all season long. Uh, just, you know, you got to give the New Orleans Saints defense a ton of credit. Uh, the Buccaneers were 6 of 19 on third down. Uh, it was 6 of 19 on third down in the game. Uh, they, uh, average, Brady only averaged three and a half yards a pass. They sacked Brady four times. They did, uh, they did give up 118 yards on the ground, but that was the only, that was the only negative. As the Tampa Bay, or excuse me, as the New Orleans Saints defense just painted an absolute masterpiece to improve the seven and seven on the season. Again, to, like I kind of alluded uh, alluded to in my uh, in my Green Bay Packers point, you know, the Buccaneers going to be kicking going to be kicking themselves if they end up having to play Wild Card Weekend again instead of getting that, instead of getting that number one seed in the NFC. 
because of the fact that they, especially the, the first game, you know, the first game was kind of back and forth. You know, Tim put up some, put up some points, had a little bit better offensive performance when they played the Saints. Uh, when they played the Saints down at the Superdome on Halloween, this one was just absolutely inexcusable. You, you can't you can't score one touch. You can't score. You can't get any points on the board. I mean that and 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 one like again. Uh, Excuse me, uh, Taysom Hill was a Drew Brees in the game either. I mean, but the the you Brady was pissed and rightfully so. If you're a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneer offense, Byron Leftwich, Bruce Arians, that's you as well. You got to be embarrassed after after the performance you put up on Sunday. That was absolutely deplorable and absolutely abysmal. That was that that was disgusting. Their offensive performance on Sunday night, disgusting. Can't kill the defense. Defense, you know, three field goals didn't allow him to score. To, can't really kill the defense all that much. Offense, zero points, really. Brady's consecutive consecutive streak of starts without being shut out ended at two fifty five. That's the second longest streak in NFL history. Last time Brady was shut out was was two thousand and six. No active defensive player was active yet. At the NFL in the, no. Currently active NFL defensive player had started their career yet. Uh, Tom Brady was shut out at home for the first time in his career and had lost four straight against and has lost four straight against a single opponent for the in regular season wise for the first time in his career. Um, uh, anything else? Two and a half point second long. The Drew Brees went the longest with three hundred four straight starts without a shutout. Um. Sacked four times on third down, first time, you know, since that's happened since 02. That's tied for the most sacks in a game in his uh, Hall of Fame uh, career. Uh, let's see here. Cam Jordan joins Riley, excuse me, Ricky Jackson as the only players to have 100 plus sacks with the Saints in the history of the franchise. Uh, and then, of course, Dwight Franey, Robert Mathis with the Colts, Lawrence Taylor, and Michael Strahan with the Giants. Uh, and back to when the last time Brady was shut out, it was week 15 of 2006, ironically enough. December 10th, Brady was 29 years old, uh, and Drew Brees, that was his first season with the New Orleans Saints. So just to give you a uh, put what the Saints did on Sunday night into some form of context. The Oakland, the, the Oakland, the Vegas Raiders, uh, Vegas Raiders shut down the Browns on Monday, uh, a game that the Browns had to have, you know, in that situation, Cleveland's got to realize you got to, you got to make sure you get some points and not try to milk every ounce of the clock in that situation. Uh, you know, and if you have Stefanski healthy and at, First energy stadium coaching the game. Maybe that decision doesn't happen. P- bad job uh, not capitalizing off of that horrendous, god-awful interception that Derek Carr threw that you thought was going to be the end of the game. Um, but uh, give uh, all credit Derek Carr and the Raiders for bouncing back, driving into Car- Daniel Carlson field goal range. They win the game 16-14, improved 7-7 on the season. The Raiders aren't going anywhere. But uh, a nice little uh, moral victory, I guess. I mean, that was the game that the Raiders had to win, regardless if they were still in the playoffs or not. I mean, Cleveland was running on fumes. That was a game that the Raiders, in all objectivity, uh, should have won and ended up did or ended up 
uh, winning uh, in the in the overall outcome. And then the Minnesota Chicago game was completely unwatchable. I will say this until I'm blue in the face, and hopefully it's the last ever time I ever have to say these words. Get the Chicago Bears, especially when they're coached by Matt Nagy, get the Chicago Bears the hell off my TV in prime time. I am so sick and tired of watching the Chicago Bears play in prime time. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of them playing the 425 game of the week on CBS on Fox. I'm sick of watching them play on Thanksgiving. I'm sick of watching them play on Monday Night Football. I'm sick of them getting getting Sunday Night Football games. I am done. I'm sick of it. They're boring. They are they're 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 lethargic. They're uninspiring. They're boring. They're they're dreadful. They're it's 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 like sitting through a root canal watching them play. It's painful, and I'm not even a Chicago Bears fan. It's not enjoyable, and it's not entertaining to watch them play football, especially if it's a primetime standalone game. We don't have any other NFL alternatives. I'm sick of watching them playing on prime time NFL, and don't sit up here and give and give me and give me the third market nonsense and the Bears and the historical French. I don't want to hear it because because of the bottom because the bottom line. The and here's the thing that drives you crazy with the NFL. The NFL loves to use that market excuse as a reason to put the Bears on prime time, yet yet the yet the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens and the Green Bay Packers got like what four, five, six primetime games this season. Baltimore is a is a is a is a quote unquote mid market size city. Green Bay Green Green Bay Wisconsin wouldn't be relevant amongst American society if it wasn't for the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, you, you know how big Green Bay Wisconsin is. Not Milwaukee, Green Bay. Green Bay. That's a, that's that's like that's like putting that's like putting an NFL team in uh that's like putting that's like putting an NFL team in Westminster. That that's the that's the that's that's the equivalent of putting an NFL team in Westminster, Maryland. Yet the Packers are on are on TV all the time. Why? One, they're enter- one they are one they are a competitive team. They are a Super Bowl contending team. They're a good team. They're an entertaining team. They also have a little bit of the historical presence because of the Green Bay Packers in their favor as well. But mostly because of the fact that they're an in- that they are an entertaining team. They're a polarizing team. They're a competitive team. They're a good team. They're a Super Bowl contending team. And oh, by the way, they had their starting quarterback is Aaron Rodgers. No diss against Justin Fields, but they ha- but the Green Bay Packers have Aaron Rodgers. You know, and the, and and the Packers are on TV a bunch. Kansas City mid market. Why they why they on television a whole lot? Because they are the back to back AFC champions. They're Super Bowl contenders. They're Super Bowl champions two years removed. They have one of the best players, not just best quarterbacks, the best players in the sport, and Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback. 
They have a Hall of Fame coach and Andy Reid as their head coach. They have one of they have the best, arguably the best tight end in the game, who's a first ballot Hall of Famer and Travis Kelsey as their tight end. And everybody wants to watch the Kansas City Chiefs play. So much so that the NFL decided to flex Kansas City into Sunday night so we can watch them beat the beat the tar out of the Denver Broncos in a boring football game. Kansas City's on all the time. Why? They're good, they're competitive, they're Super Bowl contender, they have superstars on their team, and they are entertaining. Green Bay Packers are do not fit either of those categories. They're not entertaining, they're not fun, they're not competitive, they're not good, they're not a Super Bowl contender, and Justin Fields is not a superstar on the NFL level as of this moment. So I want to sit up here and listen to the NFL make the market argument because because when it comes to the NFL, market size is market size is irrelevant. Okay, baseball baseball it matters. Basketball it does a little bit, although basketball is more or less about the big stars. But market size kind of plays into it too. You know, Phoenix and Milwaukee didn't didn't exactly do fantastic in the ratings. So market size matters a little bit. In basketball, matters a t- it matters a, a a ton in baseball. Football, it doesn't matter. You know the the New York Jets and the New York Giants play playing a big and playing a big time heavily populated uh, area of the country that is the tri-state. You know the New York City, New Jersey metropolitan area, and nobody, I mean nobody, wants to watch the New York Giants and the New York Jets play football, let alone in prime time. They, they you know, they, they, their home base, quote-unquote, is New York City, and nobody wants to watch them play. Nobody. When the Rams were trashed when they first got back to L.A., with uh, you know Jared Goff's rookie year under Jeff Fisher, nobody wanted to watch the nobody wanted to watch the Rams play. So you know market market size goes out the window with the NFL. All that matters in the NFL is if the team is good, the team is competitive, if they're a Super Bowl contender, yes or no, and are they an entertaining team to watch because they have playmakers and or superstars on that particular team. And the Chicago Bears have neither of those. I'm sick and tired of watching them play in prime time. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of it. 2022, that's it. No more. You get you get you, you get the oblig you get the obligated Thursday not Thanksgiving, but you get the obligated Thursday night game. You you know you get it out the way in early September, and you get it out the way. Outside of that one little Thursday night game, it's it. I don't want to see them play the Bears. I don't want to see them see them play the Bears or the or excuse me. I don't want to see them play the Packers or the Vikings on Sunday night football or on Monday night football. Sick, done, sick of it. I don't want to see them play on Monday nights, and I damn sure don't want to see them play on Sunday nights either. I'm done. I'm sick of watching the Packers in prime time. I like Justin Fields at the draft pick. I think he's going to be a hell of a player, but. He, a, he's, a, he's not there yet, and B, he was absolutely abysmal in the game on Monday night. Absolutely abysmal. I don't want to see them play 
a 425 game on Fox on CBS on Monday night? No. Sunday night? No. And Thanksgiving? Definitely not. Done. This team is too bad and too inept and too boring, quite frankly, of not just a team, but as a franchise for them to get rewarded with as many primetime games as they do. I'm so sick and tired of hearing the market size because it's Chicago excuse. Because it may, because 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 a they're lying to you, and b nobody cares about market size. Okay, you you know you know how big you know how big Buffalo, New York is, Orchard Park, New York. People want to watch the Bills play. Why they got they are a contender and they have superstars on on the team. They're entertaining. They're fun to watch. Green Bay Packers got Hall of Famers, superstars, playmakers on that team. They're a Super Bowl contender. You know how big Green Bay, Wisconsin is? Come on. Baltimore is the largest independent city in the country, but it isn't a big city as far as as far as population is concerned. And our, and the Ravens have been on television. A hell of a lot, a hell of a lot of times this season, they've they've played. They got two. They have three, four, twenty-five games. Packers, the Packers and Steelers, who they've already played. The Rams, which the Rams that is forthcoming. They played on Monday Night Football. They played on Monday Night Football twice, Thursday Night Football once, and Sunday Night Football twice. So if you do the math, you got the three, four, twenty-five games. Plus the Thursday night football game that's four, plus the two Monday night games that's plus the two Monday night games that's six, plus the two Sunday night games uh, at home against Kansas City and home against uh, the uh, the Browns that's eight. So they've they've been on prime time. They've been on prime time five times. You know, under the lights, eight, eight thirty, eight twenty, five times. They've been on national television, quote unquote, this season, eight times. Everybody wants to watch the Baltimore Ravens play. Why? They're good, they're entertaining, and they have superstars on the team. Chicago Bears have neither. I'm sick of watching them on my television screen. And I'm also sick and tired of watching Kirk Cousins on Monday Night Football, you know, look like somebody who belongs on somebody's practice squad circa 2013. Chicago Bears essentially had nobody in their secondary, and Kirk Cousins was god-awful. Was abysmal. Anyway. Speaking speaking of unwatchable and abysmal, how about the Seattle Seahawks offense? You know, Russell Wilson, who did nothing but yell and scream and kick and scream to Dan Patrick after the Super Bowl and all throughout the offseason. The issues with my team is I don't have an offensive, uh, you know, pointing the finger and causing all this hubbub and all this nonsense in the offseason. Now, how about Russell Wilson, you know? They 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 face they have faced better Ram defenses than the one that they than the one that they faced on Tuesday night. Seventeen of thirty one, hundred and fifty eight passing yards and interception. And he gets sacked three times. Russell, for a guy that did nothing but try to kick and scream his way out of Seattle, causing a whole bunch of commotion and distractions. 
basically, you know, blaming the, blaming his shortcomings post Super Bowl Forty Nine on everybody else but himself. How how many how many times I I gotta see Russell Wilson underthrow DK Metcalf deep? How many times I got how many times I gotta see him throw underthrow DK Metcalf? How many how many times I gotta see him overthrow receivers? Where if he just makes an accurate throw, so it's, it's a walk into the end zone. How many times I gotta see it? How many times I gotta see Russell Wilson get sacked? Now again, I understand this offensive line isn't the hogs of the uh, of the nineteen nineties Redskins teams, but come on, how many times I got to see Russ Wilson get sacked because he holds on to the ball for a generation? The play's not there, Russell. You have a thing called legs. Use them and scramble and run out of the pocket. If forty four year old Tom Brady is willing to do it, and Tom, and 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 when Tom Brady and I run, excuse me, I walk faster than Tom Brady runs at full speed. If forty-four-year-old old Tommy can find it, you know, can find a way to scramble out of the pocket when the play breaks down, and he's forty-four years of age. One bad, one bad, one bad hit to him, and and that's uh, and you know, that's good. It's good night, sweet prince. As we saw in the game on on Sunday night, in which Cam Jordan came behind them and forced the fumble, on on the third down. But if Tom Brady can do it, so can you. Okay, I I understand you don't want to necessarily be you know oh Lamar Jackson running back type stuff, and I understand you're not the same player now as you were uh, you know nine going on ten years ago. But. Make make teams respect the fact that if a play breaks down, you can tuck it and run with it. Because that's, cause that's one of the things that made you such a phenomenal talent in your earlier years as an as NFL quarterback when you came into the league. Now, all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you don't, you don't want to use them. Why? You're not old. This is, this is only your 10th season in the league. You're in your early 30s. You haven't had any real major injuries. What's your excuse? Play breaks down, run, or throw the or or here's an idea, here's a thought: throw the damn ball away. Held on to the ball way, 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 way too long, you know, on uh, on Tuesday night, and I gotta listen to him screaming, yell about his offensive line. Again, I understand his offensive line isn't great, but they they can they can only block and not get called for a holding penalty or anything. Or anything along those lines, they can only do it, but for so long. When you when you just sitting in the pocket, pockets collapsing, pockets collapsing around you, you know, by the second, and you're still holding on to the football, expecting not to get sacked. Holds on to the ball way too long, way too long, and he was atrocious in the game on on Tuesday night. Atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. I understand the Seattle Seahawks defense, you know, it's not that great. You know, they only forced Matthew Stafford to the eight incompletions and he threw two touchdowns. But and they and they allowed uh and and they allowed Cooper Cup to go nuts. I mean, you guys, you know, uh Ken Norton, you ever think about drawing up a defense where you where you find Cooper Cup double teamed? Huh? Yeah, yeah, you have to draw something up where, hey, take Cooper Cup out of this game. That ever crossed your mind? 
while he dropped nine receptions for 136 yards and two touchdowns on your head? Did that, did that ever come across your mind? Outside of allowing Cooper Cup to uh, to run rampant all over him and only forcing Matthew Stafford to eight incompletions, one like the Seattle Seahawks played bad in the game. They, 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 they did get a Matthew Stafford interception, which the Seahawks defense did nothing but sit on. Uh, and they and they did get after Matthew Stafford and sacked them four times. And really, outside of Cooper Cup and a decent performance from Tony Michelle, the Rams' offense didn't do a hell of a lot. the the game The game the game was tied heading into the heading into the fourth quarter at ten ten. To be fair. And how many and how many times are the other Rams going to get away with a? Get away with a blatant passing defensive pass interference penalty that the refs don't call. That's called ninety nine percent of the time. Yet Sean Hockley and his crew swallow the whistle. On 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 a, on a similar play that they called in crunch time back on Thanksgiving when that crew did the Cowboy Raider game back back almost a month ago. I mean, really? Then I listen to Mike and the OC. You know, yeah. he 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 thinks McVeigh can do no wrong. He think he th- he thinks McVeigh is God to him. You know, saying, well, you know, when I tell him all the time how his team how his team got fortunate as hell because that blatant pass interference penalty wasn't called in the 2018 championship game, and he does nothing but get all over Sean Payton. Like I and I gotta talk some sense into him, Mike. 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 You're, it's not being a poor sport or a sore loser if he calls the league office asking for an ex- explanation. Hell, me and me in Baltimore County watching that watching that game in my living room, watching it live. That game's going on what? That game was three years ago, going on four. I, I and I, I'm sitting in my house. And I wanted wanted a direct hotline to the legal office up in New York at Park Avenue in Manhattan for an explanation of why in the French toast that wasn't called. It was his team. He was coaching the game. If he was, if if the first order of business he does when he gets inside that locker room at the end of that game is to call the legal office and wanting an explanation, he has every right to do so. Every right. And it doesn't make him a poor sport, and it doesn't make him a bad guy or a crybaby for doing so. Because any other thirty-one NFL head coaches at the time, or right in this, or right now at this moment in time in twenty twenty-one, would have done the exact same thing. And don't sit up here and tell me that they won. If the tables were turned and it was the Rams that got job, I guarantee you, you know, everything wouldn't be sugar and spice and everything nice for Sean McVay. And that if he didn't have an opportunity to, to, to get an explanation from the league office and give him a few choice words. Just because they haven't been in that situation yet, that, that doesn't mean that they would never do it. Because you never know. And like, I, and like I tweeted to Mike on Tuesday, let the Rams get jobbed one time in the postseason next month because of ref ball. Let them get jobbed one time. And we'll see if uh, if uh, pretty boy McVeigh 
will be on his P's and Q's when it comes to handling the referees and, and uh, getting a hold of the league office. Since Aaron says, well, did he have to do it right after the game? Mike, what the hell you wanted him to do? Wake up at four, wake up at four o'clock in the morning, uh, in the, you know, the Monday after, the day after, and say, oh, by the way, guys, I forgot to bring this up to you like uh, eighteen hours, you know, eight, about eighteen hours ago, something or another. But uh, can you please explain to me why that pass interference penalty wasn't called? I, I, wasn't the sole reason why the Saints? Lost that game because Breeze threw the interception and the defense collapsed. But you got you got to be fair. You got to call like you see it. Referees throw that flag. Rams don't go to the Super Bowl. They they, they throw that flag. The game's over. The Saints the Saints go to the Super Bowl. And who knows? And this was only three years ago. Who knows what the NFL landscape looks like in 2021 if three years prior that flag that flag is thrown on um I think Nicole Roby Coleman, whatever his name is. Who knows what the NFL landscape looks like now? Go you know, golf is golf is probably golf probably would have been gone sooner. Who knows? Maybe maybe Brady's still on Tampa. Maybe maybe the Chiefs don't. You know maybe the Chiefs, you know, have one less Super Bowl appearance. Who knows? But anyway, Eagles ran rampant all over Washington, uh, all over Washington on Tuesday night. Uh, give Garrett Gilbert credit; showed tremendous guts. Washington defense was absolutely pathetic against the Eagles, who are now seven and seven and are sitting pretty, trying to get the seventh seed in the NFC playoffs. Eagles on forty-one carries combined as a team ran for two hundred and thirty-eight yards. Uh, Miles Sanders had eighteen of of the hundred eighteen carries on one hundred and thirty-one yards of that chunk. Uh, Washington's run defense was absolutely abysmal. Eagles sitting pretty to get the seventh seed in the NFC as we move ahead to week 16 in the NFL. Take a break. We will get to my Cincinnati Bengals to close up the program. The Alitella Cotillias podcast. Shepherd boy to the mighty king. Do you know what I know? Do you know what I know? 
Welcome back to the Amatel Akitayas podcast. One little quick note, NFL on Tuesday. The last time, did you know this? The last time that two NFL games were played on a Tuesday, I have to go all the way back to November 6th of 1934. And, th- and, th- and keep in mind, this is, this is football I'm talking about again. Football. Why you say football? Well, listen to the two games. Philadelphia Eagles defeated the Cincinnati Reds 64 to nothing. And the Chicago Cardinals beat the Brooklyn Dodgers. Again, football. Brooklyn, here, Brooklyn Dodgers, Cincinnati Reds will throw you off. Football. Chicago Cardinals, now the Arizona Cardinals beat the Brooklyn Dodgers 21 to nothing. Philadelphia Eagles beat the Cincinnati Reds 64 to nothing. You have to go all the way back to November 6th of 1934 of when the last time two, game, two NFL games were played on a Tuesday. Um, and then, of course, you got my, just to close out the program, you know I wouldn't forget about them. My Cincinnati Bengals, who uh, beat the Denver Broncos in a gritty, gutty performance on Sunday. By the final score of 15 to 10, Bengals, you know, this has been a comedy. If you listen to the show over the last uh, over the last month or so, uh, this has been a common theme with this team is finding out how to win games without having to score 31 points every game. That was the Bengals. That was the Bengals first victory scoring 30, 30 uh, points or less since week four against Jacksonville. When they uh, since week four against Jacksonville, when they beat them twenty four twenty one on September the thirtieth, on that a Thursday on that Thursday night to close out the month of September, and it's their first road win scoring thirty points or less since week three uh, when they beat Pittsburgh the first time uh, a couple of days before the Jacksonville game by the final score of twenty four to ten. So it was impressive that they got the victory, not having to score thirty points. How they didn't even, they didn't even score seventeen or twenty points, and they still walked away with the victory. Very, very, very impressive. That that's that's the big encouraging thing you get from this game is that the Bengals found a way to win when they when they didn't light up the stat sheet offensively. Joe Mixon, you know, a pedestrian, seventeen carries for fifty eight yards. Uh, missed some time because of a because of an ankle. Missed some time because he because he injured his ankle. Uh, Joe Burrow didn't you know light up the stat sheet. If you had him in fantasy football for your fantasy football playoffs, he didn't really help you a whole hell of a lot. Uh, one touchdown pass through for 157 passing yards. Did get sacked three times. Uh, and the leading receiver and the leading receiver Tyler Boyd, five receptions, 96 yards, one touchdown catch on the afternoon, and a large chunk of his 96 yards was a 56-yard uh, catch and run that uh, that counted for the Bengals' sole touchdown of the afternoon in the third quarter. So that's the encouraging thing. Bengals defense stepped up, only held the Broncos to one touchdown, held them scoreless in the opening and the closing quarters of the game, uh, forced the turnover when they needed it the most when the Broncos were driving uh, were driving early in the fourth quarter where, you know, they the two-point conversion, which they didn't get to try to go up seven. Uh, which I which I didn't have a problem with it, which I didn't have a problem with to be quite honest with you. 
Uh, the defense steps up, forces a forces not forces a, a a takeaway to change the tides of the game to give the Bengals the momentum after uh, the Broncos had essentially got has had essentially took it from Cincinnati. Once the Drew Lock came in for uh, Teddy Bridgewater, tees and peace to him and orchestrated a touchdown drive during the sequences of the latter of the latter stages in the third quarter as the Bengals took care of business, fifteen to ten. On Sunday. So the encouraging thing is that defense made a play and created a turnover when we needed it the most. Uh, we won a turnover battle. Bengals didn't turn over the football. Didn't have any issues, you know, with muff punts and bro throwing interceptions and strip sacks and all that other and all that other foolishness. That was an issue, which was a positive. On top of the fact that the team found a way to win, not even having to score twenty points, they scored fifteen. Scored fifteen points and found a way to win. You know. Play division champions and and playoff competing football teams find ways to win to find ways to win games playing the way Cincinnati did on Sunday. It, it was it was quite honestly it was it was it was it's a it's more positive things to be gained from winning a game fifteen ten than winning a game than winning a game forty one three. Showed that, that that this team you know. And I haven't, and I haven't seen them do it in a, in, a, in, a, in a minute. Shows that this team can, you know, at least, at least, at least in that moment of that game, it shows that that they have what it takes, and they are beginning, if not, they know how to now win games ugly. Know how to win games where you don't light up the stat sheet, where you don't, you know, win somebody a fan, you know, their, you know, their fantasy football game in their fantasy football league. No, Zach Taylor said it wasn't sexy. It wasn't sexy. It, it was it was a hard nosed, tough, grinded out, gritty four quarter football game, where the defense where the defense had to make sure that that they kept, they kept the Broncos out of uh, out of scoring position and out of the end zone as much as they possibly can, forced to turn over Bengals offensively not turn over the football in return, and with the opportunities that's presented to them to put points on the board, they take full advantage of it. And they did just that. All credit in the world to uh, to uh, Burrow with that with that phenomenal pass to with that phenomenal pass to set Evan McPherson up in uh, in field goal range to kick a bank a new Bengals franchise record fifty eight yard field goal to essentially steal a possession and get three points off the board when points came at a premium, especially in the first half of the game. Give Burrow all, that that throw that he made prior to the end of the first half. And the Tyler Boyd throw for the touchdown, Burrow's two best throws of the afternoon, in my in my honest opinion. So, eight and six, Bengals also, of course, had the benefit of the Packers, uh, of the Packers escaping out of Baltimore with a win. On top of the fact that Derek Carr bounced back from his god awful interception he threw in the in the final minutes of uh, of the fourth quarter in the Brown game, about twenty four hours later. And Daniel Carlson, Carlson hitting the field goal to put the Bengals in a situation where, and I, and I, it has to, the last time I said these words was was December of 2015. I was 13. Was I 13 at the time? I I was 13 years. I was 13 years old. When I said these words, and when the words I'm about to say 
were last a reality. 13 years old, December of 2015, Christmas of 2015. Last time I said these words, on Christmas morning, the Cincinnati Bengals will be in first place. Not getting too high, not getting too low. It is what it is. I'm glad we're in a position where we're at, where we do our job, go two and one. At worst, best case scenario, you win the three game. You win the three games. You beat Baltimore, upset Kansas City, take care of business on the road against Cleveland. You finish eleven and six, and maybe even at ten and seven, you win. You win your division, get a home playoff game. You you clinch a playoff berth for the first time since 2015. Regardless of how the season ends, it's the most, it's the highest win total the Bengals have had since their 2015 season. They had eight wins. They need one more to be within an eyelash of winning the division, and they need one more to clinch their first winning season since that 2015 year. Not guaranteeing anything, not getting too high, not getting too low. The, I, I've seen this team many a time where it's right there for the taking, they do nothing but choke on their own spit, and they blow it. So I'm not getting too high and too anxious, getting ahead of myself. But there is a slither of hope within yours truly. And it's not just because it's around the Christmas holiday. There is hope that this team, maybe, just maybe, if... If the good Lord is finally smiling upon my football team for the first time in forever, maybe something spectacular could come out of this. But in order for them to do so, they can't take their foot off the gas. That game against Denver, if this team wants to become something, Joe Mix is saying, Pro Bowl's nice. I don't plan on playing in a Pro Bowl. I plan on playing in the Super Bowl. This is where it starts. This is where the hot streak, where you play your best football right here. I don't think they're Super Bowl contending team, but obviously the guys within that locker room and the, and the, and the coach think otherwise. Prove me and prove everybody else wrong. Go out there and just go on just an epic winning streak where you can do no wrong you're playing perfect complimentary football and you guys can and you guys put yourself in a situation where you're the team that nobody even the Kansas City Chiefs of the world do not want to play it's there for the taking it's there for them to be had crazier things have happened wouldn't be the first team to go worse the first and hits the NFL and win the Super Bowl or at least go to the Super Bowl or go to the AFC championship game they got to make me believe, and they got to make America believe. They believe in themselves and within themselves, which is a positive thing, but go out there and see it. Go out there and do it. Talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. Go out there. You know what you got against Baltimore. Finish the deal. We'll preview that game and all the other Week 16 festivities on a Christmas Eve edition of the I'm Telling I Tell You is podcast coming up. Uh, depending on what time you listen to this, could be within the next hour, could be within the next couple of hours, could be within the next 12 hours or so. 
you're new to the program, please subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Subscribe if you haven't already. Share with your friends and family. I will talk to you guys within the next 24 hours. Y'all take care. See you.